China's exports have decreased for three months in a row, dropping 14.5% in July compared to last year. Imports have also fallen for five consecutive months in the same period. And this decline is the largest since February 2020. So what are the reasons behind this weakening export scenario? And how will this affect global trade and more particularly India? Hi there, welcome to the BL Podcast. This is Nabodita Ganguly. Santosh Pai, partner at Denton's Link Legal and honorary fellow at Institute of Chinese Studies, joins me to discuss more about the issue. Hi Santosh, thank you so much for joining me. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So Santosh, I'd like to talk to you a bit about China's exports. So recently, China was in the news again because its exports dropped massively since 2020. Can you tell us a bit about it? Yes, I think the headlines were extremely bold. Uh, what in fact happened was a month-to-month decline uh, compared to you know uh, the numbers we have seen in the last three years. Yes, it was a steep uh, uh, decline. Uh, however, if you just want to put it in a bit of perspective and zoom out, uh, what we will see is in the first seven months of this year, the exports have fallen by 5%, uh, which is, yes, a decline indeed. But the decline that you know the headlines are talking about are a month-to-month decline. So there are normally variations uh, every month in global trade. So you know there are uh, still six months left in this year to make up for it. But yes, uh, exports from China have been in uh, under pressure, I would say, from 2017 when the US-China trade war started due to tariffs and so on. And then during pandemic, there was a unexpected bump uh, in demand. Uh, for various, uh, you know, equipment and uh, other products required to manage the pandemic. So now we are now back to the long-term trend of uh, pressure on Chinese exports uh, uh, across uh, the world. And uh, this is also because uh, many parts of the world, especially the developing uh, developed economies, uh, are yet to return to their pre-COVID consumption levels. So global demand is very weak and China being a major source of these uh, products uh, has seen a decline in its uh, exports. Understood. So basically that was supposed to be my second follow-up question as to what are the reasons behind this uh, weakening export scenario. So you talked about various points, including the trade war. So do you think this... uh, global decrease in export from China. It's something that will be pertinent, that will be constant, that will keep happening. Yes, I think this new geopolitical uh, you know, situation will continue uh, for the foreseeable future. There's no easy way to fix it. Uh, but if you look at it as drivers of Chinese exports, I think weak demand will still be a substantial uh, reason. Uh, in the short term at least. Uh, The shift in trade patterns caused due to geopolitical reasons, that's a more of a long-term trend. The changes that we are witnessing due to geopolitical reasons are still in their early years. It takes a long time for, uh, you know, these kind of uh, multinational supply chains to shift. But yes, that is definitely a contributing factor and it might even uh, gain strength as more companies make long-term investment decisions to diversify their uh, supply chains, 
uh, away from China or for those who are exclusively dependent on China, uh, they would look to make new investments in other parts so that there is some diversifi uh, diversification. And this is part of a larger effort to build resilience because COVID, I think, uh, demonstrated uh, uh, you know, the drawbacks of uh, a large concentration in supply chains. So that will definitely continue. So as you mentioned that the diversification is increasing, for example, Apple also said that it will increase its manufacturing in India. So I just wanted to understand how this entire scenario will benefit India. Yes, India indeed uh, has an opportunity here. Uh, India is looking to uh, expand its own manufacturing sector. So when we talk about manufacturing moving away from China, uh, we have seen a lot of low-hanging fruits already uh, in this area, uh, like uh, countries like Vietnam uh, and other ASEAN countries, where a lot of manufacturing, which could easily be relocated from China, has moved to these uh, smaller economies. Uh, but uh, as you mentioned, uh, uh, you know, Apple and many other consumer products, uh, if they want a larger market, a larger domestic market with potential for long term growth, then India definitely is one of uh, such major uh, markets. So we will see a lot of such uh, decisions being made to uh, manufacture uh, in a large country which has both domestic potential and the potential to emerge as an export hub to other countries, which India earlier was not uh, being considered in these uh, conversations. So this is definitely an opportunity for India. So do you think now that with COVID, as you said, countries understood that they have to be self-reliant, there has to be more diversification, so is it also a message for globalization that globalization as a whole is also decreasing? Uh, I would put it slightly differently. I would say that uh, globalization has uh, you know, reached a newer stage of maturity or evolution uh, because globalization is not uh, on the decline as I look at it. There are new patterns emerging and some of it might be regionalization which means that supply chains need to be closer to the markets they serve. For example, uh, Mexico will supply to the US and maybe Eastern Europe will supply to Western Europe. So uh, there are some um, changes that are happening, but globalization per se is on decline is too bold a statement for me to make. Uh, I'm not an economist uh, by any stretch of imagination. But what I do see in the industry is that there are new preferences. Self-reliance or self-sufficiency is not possible for every country in every product. Uh, but if you look at it in a converse way, uh, is it healthy to have an excessive dependency on one particular country? Definitely not. And I think that is a bit of, you know, the, the, the froth of globalization where the entire world was dependent on a very uh, a small set of countries. That will change and uh, dependency will be distributed across regions depending on the industry, depending on you know the type of products and the raw materials required. So I think we will now witness a more uh, even spread of opportunities, uh, both from a manufacturing perspective uh, or uh, from, from creating these supply chains. So it's, it's, it's a new phase, I would say, of globalization. Yeah, that's a very interesting way to put it. 
So now talking about China's imports, that has also fallen. Is it because there has been low demand in the country? Because the country is also the economy, Chinese economy at home is also struggling with lots of things, including the housing crisis. Could you elaborate a bit on that? Yes, indeed. Uh, just as most other major economies of the world, the Chinese economy is also yet to uh, recover from the the, the pandemic uh, slump. So, and China's imports are ma- mainly driven by uh, you know demand for exports because most of them are inputs going into manufacturing sector. So there is global de- weak global demand for. Uh, Chinese exports and consequently that results in a uh, weakening of demand for imports. But having said that, I think there is uh, a a little more nuance to it because some of the uh, dip in China's import figures uh, could also come from lower commodity prices because uh, China is a big importer of commodities such as crude oil or uh, food grains, soya beans and so on. And all of these commodities, uh, you know, their prices have gone down. So, so if China has has even increased consumption of some of these uh, commodities uh, because of the decline in the price, the total value of China's imports will be suppressed. So there are, uh, and of course, as you mentioned, local consumption in uh, China is also, uh, you know, this is something that the government has been trying to boost ever since they announced their dual circulation economy and you know de-emphasizing uh, export uh, dependency and relying more on domestic consumption uh, they're trying their uh, best to boost domestic consumption so i would say the the the, the reason for china's uh, imports having fallen uh, is all of these uh, weak demand lower commodity prices and domestic demand uh, the struggle with domestic demand so now, as you mentioned, that companies are trying to diversify in other countries. So will that impact the yuan? Will it lose its uh, original value with companies going to other uh, countries and uh, starting their value system there? I think the announcements coming out of China has, uh, in in the recent few weeks or months, been that China is prepared to take steps uh, to boost demand and prevent flight of capital, which is a major concern. And uh, yuan is a highly regulated uh, currency. Uh, so I believe the central bank in China is aware of you know what needs to be done to achieve a certain result. And uh, the yuan will, of course, be influenced by all of that. So the the policy, uh, the domestic uh, sort of uh, priorities, and of course, you know, uh, China's place in the global economy. Okay. So while you did speak about it, but just to broadly talk about it, how do you think will the global trade scenario change in the following years to come? Uh, yes, uh, a lot of these uh, questions are in a state of flux. So, for example, there, there, there is, you know, the imperative for companies to diversify sub- for supply chain. Similarly, national governments are also uh, getting interested in, you know, what is their country's uh, dependency on other countries. And India, let's talk about India, because last year, I think the Ministry of Commerce uh, published a list of 102 items. Uh, which they identified as uh, having potential for reduction in imports and expansion of domestic capacity. 
So one year later, if you look at some of those products, we have indeed made some progress in reducing our dependency uh, on imports and specifically from China, because I think that's the underlying motivation there that if India has to uh, reduce dependency on China, we have to start at a, you know, a slightly at a larger picture and see where do we actually import products. And in those products on which on which countries are we dependent? And if one of those countries happens to be China, that creates a geopolitical risk and therefore we have to reduce dependency. So uh, that is, you know, uh, national governments are definitely paying more attention to what their respective uh, importers or businesses do. And that is also a factor. And then there is the whole uh, legal part of it. So uh, countries are erecting uh, uh, either barriers or incentives to cause a shift in the supply chains. Now, some of them will work. Some of them will not work. Uh, US, of course, is the biggest example. The Inflation Reduction Act uh, has a huge amount of money behind it to cause uh, or to, to influence U.S. companies uh, to bring back manufacturing to the U.S. Uh, so similarly, every small economy will do its best to uh, to sort of uh, uh, you know take advantage of this opportunity where people have seen that there's a need for diversification of supply chains. Uh, uh, India has its own production-linked incentives, which have worked quite well so far and have succeeded in uh, attracting a large number of investors. And if that trend continues, uh, India will uh, definitely be able to reduce its dependency. So uh, similarly, other emerging markets uh, will have their own uh, uh, focus areas where they want to build a domestic uh, manufacturing industry or reduce imports or integrate in a larger way uh, through regional uh, trade agreements. Uh, India in this direction has also entered into a number of uh, bilateral trade agreements and number of, uh, a few more are under discussion. So I think this is, you know, these are some of the moving pieces of the puzzle. Uh, uh, and uh, in the next uh, decade or so, uh, we will see uh, the, the results of these measures being taken today. So also... Now that, uh, in, as you mentioned, that India decided to ban a few uh, Chinese items, the country also decided to lower its dependency on China. So on that note, I wanted to ask a few questions. Number one is, how will this entire scenario with India deciding to lower its uh, reliance on China for trade, how will it impact the India-China relations, number one? And number two, could you shed some light on the new law on foreign relations that was adopted by China recently? What does it talk about its uh, relation with other countries? Sure. So firstly, let me clarify, India has not banned any items uh, coming from China. I think that would be a very, very uh, drastic measure. Uh, what India has done is articulated its uh, need to reduce dependency on imports uh, generally across the board. And as it happens, uh, we have a large, uh, China is a largest trading partner. So we have a large dependency on China. So it translates into reducing dependency on China, just, just to you know be clear. Uh, and coming to, uh, uh, you know, uh, your uh, second uh, question, uh, China has been legislating on a number of uh, issues 
uh, even before the pandemic actually uh, in fact china's new fdi law which came into force uh, before the pandemic also had a reciprocity clause which said that if foreign governments take discriminatory action against uh, chinese companies uh, then china will also be taking some uh, uh, retaliatory action so now that trend has strengthened uh, so now uh, china has come out with a plethora of laws which uh kind of you know it's like laying the minefield and preparing uh, for uh, trade war or you know uh, uh, geopolitical uh, sort of motivated steps taken by other countries so the anti foreign sanctions law is uh, just a you know a fuller version of that where uh, china has tried to make it clear that uh, it will safeguard its, its interests across the world uh and coming to the india china ties uh, i think yes the economic uh, ties have been impacted by uh, you know the events of uh, uh, may 2020 and uh, that will continue to uh, you know influence uh, the entire bilateral relationship but within the economic uh, piece i think we have now a uh, Uh, a very complicated situation where uh, india is screening chinese investment for the first time uh, since 2020 uh, and uh, trying to pick and choose the kind of uh, investments it wants to invite from china mainly in the manufacturing sector as you earlier mentioned uh, you know if if chinese companies are part of global supply chains uh, then india is trying to send a signal that those kind of investments are still welcome because we do want to uh, Uh, attract global supply chains and if it's in the manufacturing sector which is not considered sensitive uh, then india will be you know, considering uh, approving such investments from china at the same time uh, i think there is a uh, growing uh, imports from china which was causing a concern and as we have discussed earlier india is taking a number of steps to reduce dependency so we will see this uh, a uh, carefully calibrated uh, kind of uh, uh, economic tie uh, ties with china where uh, we are uh, selective about investments coming in uh, we are also mindful that uh, public procurement which was earlier a big space for chinese companies in india is now regulated so even chinese companies which are participating in um, epc projects in india require uh, prior registration uh so we are seeing this uh, you know new phase of uh, our economic relationship with the world's uh, second largest economy uh, where india has to uh, carefully balance uh, uh, on uh, of course capitalizing on the opportunity and expanding our own uh, stature in the global economy but at the same time uh, managing our relationship with china uh, with the political imperatives that it carries and achieving our economic objectives without uh, you know uh, compromising on those uh, uh, priorities is there anything else that you would like to add uh, no this is an interesting space to watch uh, as we speak uh, china is now uh, courting the private sector uh, after the backlash against the tech industry and so on uh, in the last one week there have been a number of announcements in china which are very interesting uh, for example chinese government is now encouraging uh, uh, investors to buy real estate by making it easier to get uh, bank loans 
the Chinese government is encouraging the private sector to play a larger role in um, uh, key industries like transportation, uh, energy, infrastructure, and so on, which were traditionally, uh, you know, under uh, state uh, supervision. So it's it's very interesting to see how you know uh, these uh, drivers of economic growth are uh, slowly being changed and what will emerge uh, growth will eventually return i think that was one of your questions uh, growth will eventually return but uh, what will drive uh, the future economic growth of china is uh, now uh, in play and uh, it, it's 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 very interesting uh, to observe what will work and what will not work a great deal of experimentation will definitely occur and i think that makes for some very interesting uh, observation yeah, we should definitely have a conversation about that separately soon. Sure, sure, happy to. Yeah, so I just had one doubt. Do you think uh, that now that uh, lots of countries, as we talked about, are increasing their diversification in other countries apart from China, China will try to increase its export with countries which are on a debt trap with it? So uh, there are many layers to that question. Uh, firstly, I think uh, China has been investing uh, in many countries. And now after the pandemic, uh, it is facing headwinds in uh, all the Western countries, so to speak, uh, the USA, North America, Europe, Australia, and so on. But there are still pockets in the world like Southeast Asia, where China has made considerable investments. Uh, South America, where uh, Chinese companies will continue to uh, invest. Uh, Africa, which is a large untapped uh, opportunity where Chinese companies have a head start. So there are uh, these kind of adjustments that are occurring. Uh, as far as uh, weaponizing trade is concerned, uh, I think a bit of that is happening too. Uh, if If the West doesn't want to uh, give access to high technology to Chinese companies and so on. China will, of course, play its own cards. Uh, it controls uh, markets in rare earths and so on. So we saw that you know China has banned the export of two particular uh, minerals. Uh, so we will continue to see these uh, tensions, uh, geopolitical tensions, uh, or spilling over to the trade domain. Uh, that is, you know, uh, we can't help it. That's part of the landscape now. So there will be those uh, kind of tensions. But uh, in, in the long term, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the trend of uh, Chinese companies going abroad uh, will return in some form. It will not be the same as we have seen earlier, the debt the debt trap uh, diplomacy that you mentioned there have been such experiences so uh, uh, with uh, pakistan sri lanka and so on uh, so lessons will be learned from the, from that both for the host countries who are receiving such uh, investments and for china which is making such investments so uh, yes uh, it will not be uh, the same as before uh, we will have to see uh, how these trends pan out it's Still a little too early after the pandemic to uh, get a sense of how these uh, long-term trends are panning out. Uh, so yes, maybe we can have a conversation a few months down the line. Uh, Santosh, on that note, thanks a lot for joining me. Thank you.